Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 87, recorded on September 23rd, 2020. The Cloud Pod gets the AWS perspective. Good evening, Peter and Jonathan. How's it going, Justin? It is going quite well. It's a, a week away from my, my trip oh, away. So it'll be super wonderful. <laughs> also, a week yes. away from the uh, the Google product announcement, which I'm desperately waiting for because my Pixel 3 phone I've held on to for two years now is on its last legs and I just really, really want it to last until I can order a new phone. When do they cancel the new phone? Hmm? When, when do they cancel it? So they, they announce it next week, but when do they, when do they announce oh, the cancellation? Is no, that the week after? I have or? no idea. Apparently, it's already a downgrade on the old phone, so well, <laughs> maybe they've taken a different tactic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yesterday they announced uh, Google Tables, which is a, an Airtable rival and a work tracking tool for uh, project management kind of stuff to compete with Trello. And my joke yesterday was, uh, so they used the table solution to plan the decommissioning. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was... Mm. that's good well that's uh that's exciting uh ryan is still off uh, in the desert somewhere hopefully safe and well and enjoying himself uh, immensely with his friends so we'll see him back next week for episode 88 but uh he's hopefully having a lovely time well we have a busy week ahead here on the show so the first one up is amazon out of the gate with the api gateway which now supports mutual tls uh, authentication customers can now enable mtls on custom domain names for regional rest and http apis at no additional cost uh, mutual tls enhances the security of your api and helps protect your data from attacks such as client spoofing or man in the middle attacks uh, api gateway previously not only supported one-way tls and so this is two-way tls so twice as good right <laughs> twice as nice yeah for sure this is something that people have been asking for for a long time and i know especially in the finance industry where where clients get issued with their own certificates to identify them uh, in addition to usernames and passwords for the users, it's going to be um, really good for them. So more of a more support for zero trust networks. Yep, I do. I do suspect that we'll see mutual TLS rolling out in a big way across many many services, along with TLS one point three. Uh, so you know, API Gate. We just got TLS one point three last week, and now this week suddenly they have mutual TLS off. Uh, amazing yeah, cool. how that works. <laughs> so glad to see that uh, that's out there. I know one of our listeners is uh, very excited about this because he's oh, talking about it in the Slack room. Uh, for those of for our listeners who are joining us on Slack every every day in the week, uh, we love to talk about all of the great uh, features and wit- dreams that we have for AWS <laughs> and other cloud providers too. Well, the next one is uh, the tech detective is on the case. Uh, he's now analyzing IAM role sessions so that you can visualize and understand the actions that users and apps have performed using assumed roles. Uh, this allows you to answer simple questions such as which federated user invoked APIs that are associated with the security finding. Uh, once the detective is enabled, you can process all VPC float logs and CloudTrail management events for across a customer's enabled accounts, collating data about activity performed under the auspices of an IAM role into role session. So for those of you using AWS SSO or any other SSO solution, uh, you can't really tell, to, at least before this, who did something in an account because you didn't have to federate their user ID with a login for that and then also into the CloudTrail event logs. And now Detective is doing that all for you. So again, Detective on the case. That's really neat. I always used um, named sessions to, to help solve this the same problem so you could trace a user's activities but uh this is going to be so useful for all the security people oh yeah just making this this job easy is key well it's the number one question you kind of end up asking is like well who changed the thing in production uh so now i can trace it back really simply with detective that's super helpful 
Well, if you've uh, been itching to improve the CloudWatch agent, uh, you now have a chance because it's now open source. Uh, it's available to you to make all your fun pull requests, uh, suggestions, report issues, and all kinds of other great things for the CloudWatch agent. Uh, with this announcement, they also have enabled it in the Yum package manager for Amazon Linux 2. So instead of installing it from a S3 binary you now have to install, uh, you can now just do a Yum package install uh, to get that CloudWatch agent, making it much, much easier to get set up and started with That's CloudWatch. Cool. Do you think they're open sourcing these things for transparency so you can see exactly what the agent's doing or do you think it's because they actually care that people contribute i think it's a i think it's a double-edged you know double-edged sword kind of one they want to kind of show that for compliance reasons that this is a safe agent and that you can deploy it on a server and and it's not going to hurt you um the other side of it is it's a it's a great way to get issues reported very quickly without having to go through a customer support process and gives a support path and the second the third thing i think is uh it just makes it you know, easy. So people, if they do have something minor or some tweak, they can do a fork of the, of the agent and then add their own custom logic to it. I think there are some use cases where you know, maybe you're blocked in production because of some simple bug that you don't want to wait for Amazon to fix. I think there are some opportunities there for people as well. But, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, doing a one, you know, multi-billionaire company's job. <laughs> so I like them just to do it themselves. But, uh, you know, if I'm in a, in a hurry and I have an itch to scratch that needs to get done. Well, uh, yeah, what, are, what, you know, what data does Amazon want you to send to CloudWatch? And the answer is all of it. So, I mean, this makes it much easier for, um, I would imagine, third-party products to easily get their, uh, you know, their data sources uh, natively right into the CloudWatch agent so people don't have to install additional agents to push stuff to CloudWatch. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the, the whole Beats ecosystem yeah. uh, kind of mentality. Hopefully it works better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I broke more things with Beats than I well like fixed with by proactively monitoring. It was awesome. Yeah, I, mean, that's I think great. My, I think that's my problem with Beats is that I, I really wish it was easy to remote control from uh, the, the place you're sending the data to, because we get we get people configuring their Beats to ship metrics out you know, every ten seconds, every five seconds. And we really want it every minute or two at the most. And there's nothing you can do. And all of a sudden you realize you've got uh, 5,000 servers sending you metrics every, <laughs> every five seconds. DDoS, like, baby. Stop. <laughs> I DDoS myself. <laughs> yeah, stop the insanity. Well, the other insanity that Amazon's helping you stop this week is patching. Um, so if you had the need to patch all of your Amazon EC2 instances, Windows most likely, uh, maybe Linux, uh, you could set up a very simple SSM policy and determine if they are in compliance with your patching status and patching baselines. Uh, but you'd have to log into all of your accounts uh, to determine what the status of that patching was or where the non-compliant resources are. And so Amazon has now made that much simpler with a new ability to have a single dashboard via the AWS Security Hub that will give you access to all of the data from the AWS Systems Manager Patch Manager, enabling you to automatically send patch compliance findings generated by your patch rules to AWS Security Hub. So this is great for your security NOC team or SOC team uh, who's trying to figure out, you know, where are all the non-compliant servers? This is a great way to quickly uh, cut through that noise and find the offending server and get it patched. Yeah, just think if it was, if, if it was, um, you could automate things with this now, right? Could automatically kill things yeah, if it didn't get patched after, after a certain time or, yeah. Or, you know, force a SSM patching run on a server that's out of compliance for more than right. X number of days or, yeah, there's all kinds of really cool automations you can now build off of Security Hub to do all kinds of great nice. mediations. I guess then the question is, do people start uh, shadow patching so that you're not patching through systems manager so that people don't know when you're out of date? 
<laughs> well, the easy solution to that is just remove the SSM uh, agent IAM permissions, and then it can't update Amazon that it has a without a compliance. So that's not I like it. Do that, Peter. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Amazon's giving you new perspectives with a new AWS perspective solution. Uh, this is an invitation that helps you build detailed architecture diagrams of your workload from live data in your account that you can customize and share with your colleagues. Uh, AWS perspective maintains an inventory of AWS resources from the accounts and AWS regions that you import, deriving relationships between discovered resources and presents them in a web application. Uh, each architecture diagram includes data related to historic costs and other metadata for the resources it contains. And you can export these out as CSV, PNG, JSON, or draw IO files. Uh, this it is cool. Link. I really wanted to play with this earlier today, but I didn't get around to it. I, I think my first feature request, not even having used the product though, is I'd lo- I want this to run cross account so that I can deploy this once because this isn't a, this isn't a managed service. It's I mean they they provide the source code or they provide the binaries and you deploy it yourself in your own account. I guess that goes back to the whole yep. separation of duties as well, and so not giving Amazon access to all your stuff, which is weird because it's running in AWS anyway. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you run it yourself, you can build your own diagrams yourself, but imagine imagine running this across 200 accounts and coming up with a whole portfolio of your architecture would be, uh, be cool. So, you know, it's funny because yeah. we, we have tools that do this at, for at the network layer on Amazon and just in a single account, uh, it's so amazing how you can build up so many artifacts that a draw an automated drawing tool you you actually have to reduce the scope in order to make the drawing human consumable. So I I couldn't even imagine if we made ours multi-account. <laughs> it would it would just be <laughs> if you've ever tried to trace ro- uh, cables that are in uh, cable management uh, zip ties and stuff. Uh, that's what it that's what it feels like on a diagram. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many services this thing uses. Uh, you know, if you look at the diagram for the solution, it's got Lambda at the edge, it's got CloudFront, it's got AppSync, Cognito. API gateways, Dynamo, uh, their Amplify is in here really? as well. There's just a ton of ton of stuff in it. And ECS is involved, uh, you know, many, many things. Uh, you know, so again, be careful because uh, you might need that billing diagram just to know how much this thing is costing you to run. But uh, yeah, some of those things aren't, aren't serverless and they don't, you know, they cost you by the hour. Like Neptune's not serverless. So I, I didn't, I, I skimmed the article to, to see if they put a price on for like an hourly, um, hourly usage, how much you expect to pay, but I didn't see anything. It is a CloudFormation template, so you could just load it into the console and they'll give you an estimate there too. So mm. it, just, it isn't enough. The other thing to um, be wary of, even if it's not going to consume a lot of resources itself, is that most of these tools do mass describe calls. And so if you're, uh, if you're concerned about pushing your API limits on your account, this could put it over the top. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, actually, some of those describe calls are really, really We've learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm, I, I have a, I did a Jira for myself today because of exactly the same problem. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to read. I don't, I don't, I don't. I just want to describe it. Please let me do just it. All, just all. give me everything. All of the describes. <laughs> hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod.
www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. All right. Well, the, uh, you know, Amazon Wavelengths uh, was launched a little bit while ago in San Francisco and Boston, uh, which if you did not live in those two amazing cities, uh, you were out of luck. But now I have three new cities for you to take advantage of the AWS Wavelength service with Verizon 5G Ultra Wideband Network. Uh, now in Atlanta, New York City and Washington, D.C. Uh, so you can now take advantage of all this amazing 5G capabilities. Uh, this article is a little interesting, too, is they do have some early case studies from a couple of companies, including YBVR. Zixi and CrowdVision to see how they are using uh, this ultra wideband capability in their systems. Uh, so do check those out if you're curious or you're starting to look at doing something with Wavelength. Uh, there are now some use cases and, and early case studies that can help you out. I watched a video from YBVR. It looks, it looks really impressive. And, and with, uh, with COVID shutting down the in-person sporting events and things, that technology could be, it could be really amazing. I can, I can see them uh, being something to uh, invest in for the future. Yeah. I do suspect that we'll start seeing a lot of these announcements as uh, 5G kind of becomes a big deal this year, you know, with the new Android phones and the new iPhones this year, all supposed to be 5G enabled. Uh, so I suspect that we'll start seeing a lot more, you know, from Google and uh, Azure in the space as well as they rapidly support 5G through their partners, you know, AT&T or Sprint, uh, T-Mobile, whoever they partnered with, as we talked about. They all kind of pick their own cloud. So there you go to make it more complicated. Why do you think these cities, I mean, are they, are they particularly big for sporting events or do you think there's another reason why? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Your guess I'm is not, as good as mine. Uh, I mean, New York City a, makes sense to me from a population perspective that, you know, the more bandwidth you can get to New York City for mobile devices, the better off you're going to be. Washington, D.C., maybe for political reasons and, you know, you use it for lobbying advantage and show like, hey, here, yeah, look, look, at, look at all the protesters in 3D. Yeah. Look at our virtual protests. Dude, now uh, have the best NFL <laughs> football team name of all time. The Washington yeah. football team. <laughs> it's very, very clear yeah. to the point. And then Atlanta, I don't, I don't really know. So I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a very valid reason someone will write into us and tell us. Well, it's because you know Atlanta's the hub city of Verizon's something. Where really, I don't know, I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's valid reasons. I just don't know what they are. On to GCP, who uh, you know looked around and said uh, we're tired after nine weeks of uh, you know our event, and uh, it's Ignite week this week, so we're going to be quiet. But uh, we have two little announcements we want to tell you about. Uh, the first one is they are now making it easier to manage Windows Server VMs. Uh, on the Google Cloud. Uh, they're making it easier by doing th four things. The first one is they're giving you boot screen diagnostics so you can see why your boot server won't boot, which is really annoying when it's a Windows box uh, due to a you know, corrupted VM disk or some other terrible, terrible thing. Uh, it's glad to uh, you know, see that happen for boot screens. And then the next one is uh, auto upgrade in for in-place upgrades of Windows 2008. Because if you're a Windows admin, you know that you should never in-place upgrade. But if you don't know that, because you're a Linux guy who said, I can just in-place upgrade it, sounds easy. Uh, Google gives you the ability to try this out. And if it doesn't work, it'll automatically roll you back uh, to Windows 2008 without you having to do a lot of work. Uh, this is a great way to test your, back, uh, test your upgrade process and then uh, roll it out across your fleet once you know that it works all through a single G Cloud command. And then there's a new uh, diagnostic information tool from Google to help you identify Windows VM issues uh, and to help you with support at Google. And then a new licensing reporting tool because what everyone loves about Windows is reporting your licensing. And so uh, to make that much, much simpler for BYOL customers, uh, this tool allows you to quickly identify your maximum high watermarks for physical servers and understand license usage at any time. So there you go. Nice. So it's a tool that gives me a picture of the blue screen of death. <laughs> 
That was always a super, yes. super valuable one too. Like we learned so much from the content of the list of characters on the blue screen of death. <laughs> I just love seeing those pictures of you know, billboard in, uh, in Times Square and stuff with the, with the blue screen on it. <laughs> there's there's oh, whole yeah. collections of, yeah, in, yeah. Of, of images out there. I've got pictures of ATMs running like Windows CE with a blue screen on them. It's <laughs> That's fun. There are a couple that you know, at least back in the NT four days that I recognized just by seeing it. Oh, that's bad memory. <laughs> or yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. There's some of those that you saw quite often back in those days. Um, but yeah, yeah, most of the time they're very unhelpful. Well, the next one is the ability to uh, you know export data. So nothing is worse than running an export job on your database uh, for things like backups and regulatory data retention, or to populate you know a data lake and cause a massive outage due to massive database blocking, or even worse, performance issues caused by your export. Uh, and Google is here to rescue you with a new feature called Cloud SQL colon serverless exports, which allows you to export data from MySQL and PostgreSQL database instances without any impact on performance or risk to your production workloads. Cloud export supports portable data formats like SQL and CSVs and can be triggered anytime and written to cloud storage buckets that you control. Uh, you can use this feature for free until February, and then you will pay a dollar point, oh, sorry, a penny per gigabyte of instant storage capacity for the export. Yeah, it's ironic because I was on a call today where we're helping a customer who is dealing with a database locking from, and they're running on just uh, instances on VMs. So yeah, you know, your backup doesn't take very long and you grow and you're successful and pretty soon gets really ugly. And now you got to fix it when it's the hardest time ever to fix it. So this is, I bet this is going to make people happy. Yeah, seems like something that they would have thought about at the beginning. You would think so, but we have another story in landing around from Amazon, so I'm, I'm not so sure that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think they do it? Like, do you think they just, because, you know, you could connect multiple devices, except you don't want to connect multiple, you can connect multiple and read only mode to the same block storage. Do you think just spin up a SQL server in the background, connect to the same physical desk? Probably. It's probably... It's probably kind of semi-serverless. Take a snapshot of the of the volumes that have the transaction log and the and the data on, and sort of load that up somewhere else with an engine. Export the data from there. It, it seems or relatively simple to implement, and it's so much value add. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot of value out of this feature for sure. Oh, definitely. It's just it's it's a pain pain for everybody. Well, it's uh, Ignite Week uh, at Azure. Uh, I forgot to tell you all because <laughs> I so overwhelmed with the success of the Google Cloud Next that I forgot that Ignite was coming up. So Ignite is, of course, Azure's uh, or Microsoft's second big conference of the year. This one is typically focused at IT professionals. They cover a lot of the Office 365 things. They cover Azure uh, and they cover several other uh, dynamics, which I don't know what that is, and other no-code solutions that uh, Microsoft thinks are important to the world. Uh, But, you know, they do have several Azure announcements that I wanted to mention and bring up, and so we will run through those here today. Uh, that are pretty exciting for those of you using Azure out there. Uh, the first one is if you are using NetApp's uh, Azure offering, Azure NetApp Files, uh, they now support cross-region replication and new enhancements uh, available to you in preview. With this new DR capability, you can replicate your Azure NetApp file volumes for one region to another in a fast and cost-effective way, protecting your data from unforeseeable regional failures. Uh, the feature supports multiple replication frequency options from every 10 minutes to hourly or to daily. Uh, you can read from the secondary volume during active replication. You can fail over to secondary volume on demand at a time of your choice. And you can monitor and alert the health of volume replication and the health of the secondary volume through Azure NetApp files and receive alerts through the Azure monitor. Uh, and that is pretty great for those of you who are using the Azure NetApp files option because you couldn't figure out object storage. 
<laughs> Very true. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, can you imagine being a NetApp right now, not seeing the writing on the wall that these are all going to be built into all these features are going to be built into the block storage as well? Well, they, they, they have all these features in the Azure block storage today, but uh, this partnership they've had for a while and it's available to you if you're a NetApp shop on premise and you want to move to Azure uh, or even Google actually offers this as well. So for those of you who still want to use some of these more legacy um, solutions, this is a great option uh, to keep you on the NetApp train or continue to use those NetApp tools you've always used and loved in your private data center. Well used. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one up is uh, Microsoft's newest sustainable data center region coming to you soon in 2021 in Arizona. Now, again, I repeat, newest sustainable data center region in Arizona. <laughs> Uh, Azure apparently is continuing on their journey to be carbon negative by 2030, and the newest data center will be a sustainable data center region in Arizona, which will become West US 3 region. Uh, in developing the new region, they did have water conservation in mind and replenishment firmly in their design. Uh, this is a LEEDS gold certified facility, which will help conserve additional resources, including energy and water, and generate less waste and support human health. Uh, the new region will also include availability zones, which are unique physical locations uh, with independent power, networking, and cooling available to you. And uh, Microsoft plans to keep these data centers cool without water for at least half the year using a method called adiab- adiabatic, oh, I don't know how to say adiabatic <laughs> cooling, which uses outside air instead of water for cooling when temperatures are below 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, for those of you who've been to Arizona, below 85 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit in global warming is not a very common thing. Well, Phoenix is one thing. There, are, there is some high desert in Arizona, which gets pretty cold. I, they don't say where they're going to build the data center, though. I assume it's near a population center. Yeah, I think in the article they mentioned it was near Phoenix, but it's not in Phoenix. So I would still imagine it would be much more efficient if it were in Saskatoon. <laughs> or, or sunk under the ocean, like the, the last date since they just dragged up out of the, uh, oh, which ocean was it? It was like the North Sea or something, just off mm-hmm. of the uh, coast of Scotland. Yeah, that was a pretty cool experiment. Yeah. You know, the thing about, I, I had a data center in Portland once, <laughs> or sorry, in Arizona once, and the reality of it is, you know, they are fine when you're on the floor and the air conditioning is working, but they like the crawl space above it is very hot. <laughs> and they have these really tall <laughs> ceilings above the data center floor to keep as much space as possible between the servers and the hot air of the outside world. inside Arizona. But uh, it was interesting because they were talking about, uh, you know, they've been working with the local governments to really focus on you know, data conservation for water and how do they you know, make sure they have water available for these cooling plants. And yeah, I'd, again, I'm not sure it's the place I would build a data center. I know from a, other threats, uh, it's always been very popular because it's, you know, it doesn't have hurricanes, it doesn't have earthquakes, it doesn't have volcanoes, it doesn't have all those things. Um, so Arizona has always been a popular data center location, except for the cooling part. <laughs> That's it, it, does have, it does have great sunshine throughout the year. It's far enough south that the solar yeah. probably far, far outweighs the, Good uh, point. The, the cooling needs, especially if you've got this new Free solar technology. power. I, yeah. I visited a, a Capgemini data center one time that was doing a similar thing with using ambient air to cool it. It was in uh, in the UK. Uh, so that was you know a little bit cooler temperatures. <laughs> so it was a little bit easier to use the outside air. But it was actually interesting because it was a data center built inside of a huge warehouse. So you know from the outside, it looked like a very large warehouse. And then you go inside and they had basically a containerized data center built out where they could basically build these pods out. And each pod was fully self-contained and it would use ambient air to cool as much as it could. And then it would you know divert to air conditioning when it needed to. But it there are a lot of really cool technologies they're doing in data centers to uh, make them more environmentally friendly. In, in England, they offer cold and damp storage. <laughs> 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 if only that was lighting around. John. I know. 
uh, and the bias to judge. Yeah, really. Try to win. <laughs> Wait, points. Well, you know, the global pandemic uh, has completely changed the way we communicate with each other. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen each other in months now. <laughs> here at the Cloud Pod. Uh, but customers still need to connect with businesses. They, they might need it to be via virtual assistance or enabling curbside pickup, uh, forcing companies in Asia to rethink how they engage with physical interactions. And of course, building new communication solutions or integrating them into existing applications can be complex and time-consuming often requiring considerable investment and specialized expertise. And so Azure is coming to your rescue with the Azure Communication Services, the first fully managed communication platform offering from a major cloud provider. Uh, Azure, commu- <laughs> Azure Communication Services are built on top of the same low latency global communication network used by Microsoft Teams to support over 5 billion meeting minutes in a single day. Uh, the Azure Communication Service supports four key areas, including voice and video calling, chat, SMS, and phone numbers. Uh, Azure Communication Services brings together the best of communication technology, development, efficiency, cloud scale, and enterprise-grade security. So, I, first of all, why did they just go beat up Twilio like that? That's harsh. Twilio's been around forever. Yeah. Uh, and then number two, I don't know that they're the the first cloud provider to offer this. I think, I'm pretty sure Amazon has some telephony capabilities, including Connect and uh, the... <laughs> the Chime SDK, which I'll provide some of these very same capabilities, which we just talked about with Slack adopting the entire Chime SDK to power their video backend. Uh, so I, I was a little miffed by that, but uh, other than that, it was, it was a pretty good investment. Yeah, so it almost seems like they're going after some of the Zoom functionality as well with the, with the voice integration into um, into Teams. Well, yeah, the, they've been going after video conferencing since they bought Skype. Exactly. Like, yeah. just keep they just keep trying, keep trying different ways. They're like, hey, it's going to be Skype. Like, no, not Skype. It's going to be Teams now. And uh, yeah, they go all over the place. Well, they've got the same problem as Google. They, they keep changing their mind about what they want to do for communication, except at least Google has the decency to get rid of the old stuff. Hey, I like IE6. <laughs> yeah. No web. Well, no web developer likes IE6. <laughs> well, if you're not wowed by Twilio competitors, uh, the next one up is a bunch of AI solutions, which you know, are so exciting. The first one is the new spatial analysis capability for computer vision Azure Cognitive Service. Ooh, say that five times fast. It provides an advanced AI model to aggregate insights from multiple cameras to count the number of people in the room, measure the distance between individuals, and monitor weight and dwell times. Uh, things that you yeah. don't really need during COVID, but maybe in the future you need for social distancing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems perfect no. for COVID. It sounds like an airport security tool. But like, imagine if you're, if you're like, okay, we, we get to open our restaurant as long as people don't like stick around for six hours or break the rules. And we can't open right now because we can't, we can't identify it, but how great if you could identify and just hire a couple brutes to walk through when someone breaks the rules, grab them by the scrap of the neck. It'll be wall mounted lasers or or some, some computerized voice that says, Hey, you, you know, the glasses. Move along. I'm picturing a brood, <laughs> a brood with two cauliflower ears and a bunch of tattoos. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I can only imagine what that looks like. The next option in their uh, cognitive solutions here is the new Metrics Advisor, uh, which is a new Azure cognitive service to help customers monitor metrics to proactively and quickly diagnose issues as they arise. You know, deviations and things that are pretty standard monitoring tools. This one's a little weird to me. And then, of course, they highlighted the fact that they use AI responsibly and have an AI responsibility uh, pledge that they leverage, uh, which they remind you how these fit into as well. I'm, I'm, so I'm sure, I'm sure if uh, Jedi comes along with some money and says, hey, can we use your AI for uh, military operations? I'm sure they'll turn them away. Of course they will, sure. especially for internal affairs in the mm-hmm. U.S. Yes, absolutely. 
I mean, technically, Azure shouldn't even know because they're not supposed to be able to see the data. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, the next one is uh, Azure is announcing the preview of Azure Orbital. This is the new ground station service that enables satellite operators to communicate to and control their satellites, process data, and scale operations directly with Azure. Uh, several partners have signed up with Azure, including Emergent, Kratos, KSAT, Kubo, Saviasat, and U.S. Electrodynamics Incorporated. And several use cases were uh, covered, including Earth observation satellites, IoT, and global communication satellites. Now, again, I love to spend you know twenty billion dollar satellites into orbit and not know how to communicate with them. Yeah, right. They've already got plans for communication for every existing satellite. So who are they? Who are they really going after? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's interesting some of these announcements. But you know, I, I think ground station was a good move, you know, because it was first. But I don't know that everyone needs this solution. But you know, they have a much more interesting set of partners. Jedi. <laughs> Do you think they're going to combine uh, Orbital with uh, their new AI solutions to ensure that people aren't using those two together irresponsibly? Yes. I mean, Skynet's already doing it, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm glad to see more options in the space because it's expensive to get satellite access time. So, I, I mean, I definitely think there's advantages, but, um, you know, I'm curious to see if Azure comes out with their whole space division next and just keeps copying the Amazon playbook on this one. Well, the uh, AT&T-powered Guardian device with Azure Sphere enabled uh, enables highly secure, simple, and scalable connectivity from anywhere. Uh, this is a you know feeds on the partnership that they signed last year with AT&T and Azure to do 5G networking at the edge. And as part of this partnership, they're releasing a new IoT solution consisting of a cellular Guardian device powered by their network, security, and support services built with Azure Sphere. The AT&T Guardian device is a transformative example of how Microsoft is working with industry leaders like AT&T to achieve more and in turn deliver innovation and opportunity to their customers. Uh, the Guardian device unlocks several capabilities, including direct connection to a customer cloud by, by bypassing the need for Wi-Fi, device connections in remote areas without Wi-Fi access, and devices which are mobile without the need for disconnection and repairing to multiple Wi-Fi networks. Uh, so I guess they're basically saying, hey, cell phones are better than Wi-Fi. <laughs> And so you should use this modem that's special and talks to the cloud. Yeah, so isn't it just like every other 4G, 5G access, access point? Yeah. Except for this one's cloud-enabled, Jonathan. Oh, of course, of course. So it comes with a built-in open VPN or something. And it's spherical. <laughs> All right. Next. <laughs> you guys are just wowed. Wow. Transformative, transformative, though. Transformative. These things have been around for years. I know. I've had, I've had like three or four hotspots in my, my lifetime. So Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if you are so excited about that that last announcement, I can now bring you innovation anywhere with the Azure multi-cloud, multi-edge hybrid capabilities oh, uh, powered by the Azure Arc, uh, which brings the Azure management capabilities to any infrastructure and allows you to run Azure services anywhere. Uh, they're adding the new features to the Arc, including the ability to run data services like SQL Server. Arc servers are now available for Windows and Linux servers, removing the need for physical devices and enabling multi-cloud. And the Azure Stack Arc products are now bringing the power of cloud to a data center through hardware partnerships between Microsoft and the vendors uh, with a preview for AKS on Azure Stack, Azure Stack Hub for GPUs for Tensor ML workloads, the VMware solution on Azure now going generally available, and Azure SQL Edge is now generally available, and two new Azure Stack rugged edge devices are available to you as well. Uh, so you get that multi-cloud edge devicing love anywhere you want it. And this actually allows you to run Azure services on top of AWS or Google if you wanted to. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. Can I run that in a <laughs> Kubernetes cluster on VMs in a container? No, on Anthos. <laughs> on Anthos, yeah. Yeah, run, it, run Azure services on Anthos in AWS <laughs> for only $100,000 a month. <laughs> no mention of pricing for this? Uh, well, I mean, each of these things has their own pricing options. So if you want to use the 
Azure Arc to run, you know, it depends on what you're running on top of and how many devices you're managing. If you're doing the the HCI Azure Stack capability, it's, you know, you're buying HCI hardware first, so it depends on what you're buying. And then, of course, VMware Solution, where you know the pricing on an Azure SQL Edge, those rugged devices uh, have a few different price tags as well. Cool. I didn't, I didn't think Microsoft would be the first, well, not first, but would, would at least beat AWS with a really good hybrid play. Yeah. I don't kind of outpost as hybrid is it still. I mean, I just want to run their services in a container on my own infrastructure someplace. Well, with all those edge devices and compute units all over the place, you need to secure all of them. And so Azure has several security innovations this week. The first one is that they're going to rebrand a ton of their products, <laughs> including the XDR capabilities, the SIM, uh, Azure security threat protection technologies are all now wrapped into the new Azure Defender branding. So Azure Defender, I like the name. Uh, that's all. So if you start seeing that on all the things like threat protection, etc., those will all be Azure Defender products to simplify your discovery of them. Uh, they're now enabling user and entity behavior analytics, or Yuba, as they call it in the space, and threat intelligence for a- with Azure Sentinel. This helps SecOps detect unknown threats and anomalous behavior of compromised users and insider threats. They have a new multi-cloud security posture management solution for Azure, uh, which allows you to pull in all the security posture from Google, AWS, and Azure into a single viewpoint in Azure Security Center, uh, which is great. I'm sure they're charging you 1% of all your bills to do that. If you're lucky. <laughs> and then a managed hardware security module using HSM device to support, a physical HSM device to support FIPS 140-2 level 3. Oh, our customer needed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jedi. Uh, and then expanded security controls assessment with the new Azure Security Benchmarks V2 controls, and then additional support for a customer lockbox uh, with more services. This is the ability for you to know when Azure needs to access your data, uh, and you can review, approve, or reject those access requests from Microsoft engineers through your Azure lockbox. And then, of course, they also want to highlight they support double encryption, which means they support encryption at rest and encryption in transit like every other cloud. But they announced it, so now it's new. Never heard it called double encryption in my life. Either have I. <laughs> well, they, they do have a tendency of renaming things. I mean, why bank new services where you can just rename old ones? <laughs> Although I do, I have to agree, I really like Defender as the name of the product suite. Defender. Look a bit Defender. Do you remember Defender, yeah. the video game? It was awesome. I do. I still play that. Oh. I got my Raspberry Pi with the, uh, with the all the old nice. games on it. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was all the big highlights from uh, Azure... MS Ignite uh, for Azure Cloud. And there are, there are other things for Office 365, which we don't cover here and for other services. So if you're, hey, what happened to Office 365 or Dynamics or those things, go check out those blog posts that are available to you on the Azure blog or the Microsoft blogs. Uh, and we will now turn it over to Peter for the amazing lightning round. In which I will guarantee the winner will not be Ryan this week. I mean, unless we're so bad that even Ryan can beat us. No, if you guys <laughs> are that bad, I'll take it myself. <laughs> it's fair. All right. A new four-core series on Coursera teaches vital product management skills. I, I was surprised that it took four courses. I mean, I thought faster, why isn't it done yet, and ship it already uh, wasn't very hard to teach people. Well, if you'd taken the course, you'd understand why. Ah, I want to take the course. I want to understand why. Amazon Redshift announces spatial functionality enhancements. I mean... What are you going to say about spaces? Spaces and spatial. All there. <laughs> Amazon Transcribe adds support for automatic language identification. Which means they'll finally understand Jonathan when oh. we send the transcribe up. I do have problems ordering just simple things. I'd like a glass of 
or water, please. Nobody ever understands me. <laughs> How does the dingus handle it? Does the dingus help you out with that? Like, does she understand you well, or does she does she struggle too? The Amazon dingus the assistant. Um, Try not to say her name because she'll wake up. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, she she does better than uh, Google does. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> you can now enforce encryption for Amazon Elastic File System resources using AWS IAM. Because I love to have my data encrypted by an IAM policy I did not remember about. I mean, where else are you going to put that, though? Mm. IAM's the place to be. The place to be. Well, I mean, we already, we already ruined IAM with tagging, so why not ruin it with encryption policies, too? <laughs> Announcing event logging and self-upgrade capabilities in the SSM agent with the new version, which is version so, 3.0. So they, they finally learned that using a package manager as a reliable upgrade mechanism is not a good plan. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so happy they've done this, though. Yes. Yeah. Not being able to use the agent to update the agent was just so short-sighted. But, and they did it in ECS early on. I was like, oh, yes, they're going to do it for everything else. They have agents-wise. Nope, they're yeah. sure not. They announced that CloudWatch is available to you via Yum, but no auto-updated there either. So <laughs> I have to go re-watch Inception now after reading that. Got three, label, three layers. <laughs> Can the agent update the agent? Update the agent. I don't know. Amazon <laughs> MSK now supports SASL. And Scram authentication with usernames and passwords secured by AWS Secrets Manager. As my good friend Oscar the Grouch says, Scram! Ah, beat me to it. Oh, really? <laughs> Oscar the Grouch? Grouch? I've got an Oscar the Grouch t-shirt. I wear it all the time. I love Oscar the Grouch. Everybody loves Oscar the Grouch. Uh, you can now accelerate analytics and AI workloads with Photon-powered Delta Engine on Azure Databricks. Or the name of my spec script that I sent into Star Trek. They were oh, nice. That might be a winner. <laughs> Amazon CloudFront announces support for broccoli compression. I mean, Peter, you got to eat your broccoli for sure. I, I was thinking Justin was going to explain it to us. It's named after him. I thought so too. Exactly. <laughs> is that not even that the right letters? Guys. I mean, I, that, it's, it it's immediately close. makes me <laughs> guess your IQ at a much higher level based on the fact that you wrote your own compression algorithm. Good job. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I, I take royalty checks. Amazon. Although you should learn to spell your last name a little better. Yeah. Apparently you know, so. I read the article that says it's a widely supported lossless compression. I've never heard of it ever. It's because probably F5 just calls it compression. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon wants to make it a press release. So there you go. AWS Budgets now offers daily granularity for cost and usage budgets. Because, you know, 40 gigs of log data isn't easy to review. Yeah, I'll just give you daily granularity instead. Well, it's it's for the budgeting though, so isn't it? So you don't have to wait a whole week to realize that you've blown your budget. They can tell you straight away. Straight yeah. away. I, uh, you know, one of the very first things they always recommend to you do is turn on budget uh, notifications. And my favorite thing is that on the third day of the month, I get a notification every month that I'm going to exceed my budget because it uses on-demand pricing to calculate your budget usage and I have an RI. Mm. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so hilarious. it does it doesn't actually help me in any way unless I make my budget higher than the uh, than the reservation price. So that's a, it's a bit annoying. Uh, can I can I plug Falkhorn for a second? Sure. Uh, we are in the process of rolling out some cool Terraformy stuff to automate the process of setting up budgets and all your accounts on a policy basis, so that as you add accounts to your organization, budgets are created, etc. So 
Um, we've got some cool stuff coming out for cost compliance. Also doing a bunch of custom policy-based cloud custodian policies so that you could basically set up stuff on an organization basis and have policies rolled out based on OUs that, that accounts are in. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Back to task. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports native backup and restore on DB instances with read replicas. The number one reason why you enable SQL Server backups on, <laughs> you know, even a replica set is because we're backups. Like, it's the whole purpose. We have a whole article from Google on serverless backup exports because of this problem. You just now got this, Amazon? I, I had no idea this wasn't already part of the way it worked. That's because you haven't lost a database <laughs> there. Yeah. I've lost plenty of databases. That, yeah. I am I'm really good at dropping tables accidentally. <laughs> I mean, I, I can get restoring back. I mean, it makes the, the whole thing makes no sense, really. If you if you actually dig into the article, then everyone should go and click on the thing and try and read what's actually going on here. But previously, you couldn't even restore a backup onto an RDS cluster that had a read replica. Makes makes zero sense. You know what's really annoying about restoring from a backup or a snapshot on RDS with Terraform is that it doesn't doesn't understand that I only wanted to do that the first time. And that then when you know the database changes later on, it wants to then restore the database snapshot that you used to originally create the database. It's super annoying. Yes. Well, and now I'm going to be especially suspicious of any company that announces a new backup offering that is just backup and not backup and restore. Hey, backing up is the easy part. <laughs> exactly. Restoring. Oh, yeah, we back up. <laughs> oh, you can't restore. Yeah. Can't restore. Okay, so here's our backup logs for compliance. Yep. Uh, Elasticsearch audit logs are now available on Amazon Elasticsearch service. I mean, if I wanted to know that Jonathan dropped the cluster, you would just tell me. It's fine. At least I can prove to you now that it just says we're down, we're down, we're down, <laughs> cluster red, cluster red. My cluster yellow is okay, which makes no sense. No. It would suck it I if you, search. yeah. <laughs> AWS Lambda adds console support for visualizing AWS step functions workflows. Or just go and click in the step function console where you see exactly the same thing. But then I get lost. Like I had to go find the step function console, which I'd never been to. It's, it's cool in there. Is it? You might not I've find your been. way out, but it's cool in there. Everyone I know who drinks the step functions Kool-Aid just becomes, you know, I know about it because they tell you in the first five seconds. So I want to I want to try the API support for visualizing AWS step functions workflows. How would that work? OK, <laughs> I don't know how that'll work, but sure. Sure. It sounds good. Let me know how that works out for you, Peter. I'm going to work on that one. It's going to be some cool, like 1980s looking ASCII graph. Maybe it's going to happen. I'm going to make you one. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and to round out the round, last chance, Jonathan, because you're way behind. I know. And that means Jonathan gets to go first on this one. So, Justin, don't jump the gun. Azure Database for Postgres Flexible Server now in preview. <laughs> he forgot. <laughs> okay, let, me, let me think back really quick. I click on the Jeopardy theme here for yeah, him. Yeah, I wish. No, wish I could no. sing it. <laughs> I I do have the Jeopardy theme. I can I can uh, paste it in here. No, please go ahead, Justin. I've completely <laughs> dropped my, the. Uh... This is so. This is a, a this is a wolf in disguise. This is just the ability to flexibly move to SQL Server in one simple command. Hmm. 
No, now I remember what I was going to say. Azure database for Postgres, <laughs> flexible server, now in preview. It just lets you stop and start it on the schedule. You could already do that. You could already stop and start your stuff. It's just... <laughs> I'm still going with it. You know, it does, it's a flexible ability for you to move to SQL Server because Amazon and Microsoft hates Postgres. Yes, the photon torpedo wins it. Ah, yes. sorry. Oh, that's what he meant. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah, my, my spec script for Star Trek is photon-powered <laughs> Delta engines on Azure Databricks. Like, what the hell is that? I guess so. Uh, yeah. I guess no one else got it either. It's Listeners, passing. I got it's it. Passing. Because I'm old. Apparently, Jonathan's a Star Wars guy. Not a, not a no, I'm just, I'm just sort of playing down the, the joke so it doesn't seem as, as good. <laughs> uh, sour grapes. Well, that's, yeah, sour that's grapes, fair. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Well, again, coming up here in a few weeks is the Women in Tech Conference on October 13th. Uh, we do recommend checking that out from our great partners at Manning Press. Uh, women in Tech is a fantastic organization helping to get more uh, women into technology careers or STEM careers in general, not just technology. Uh, and we are super excited to help support that conference and is a one-day conference available to you to go sign up for free through the link in our show notes. Well, that is it for uh, This Week in Cloud, you guys. Hey. Ignite snuck up on me. That's okay. It's all good. We, we recovered nicely. Is, is Ignite just one week? Uh, yeah, they actually, uh, they wisely chose to only do a three or four-day virtual conference versus, you know, the nine weeks of Google Digital Next or the three weeks of Amazon reInvent. Love it. Digital. So, Love it. So. Uh, I, I'm still on the very much on the side of, you know, just, just Tim cook it up, just, you know, record a four hour, you know, video releasing all these new amazing things and then release YouTube videos of the new things you, you know, a deeper dive of each of those things. That's all I need. Don't give me anything more. So let's see. Uh, there was a fantastic article this week, uh, on nitro from Warner Vogel. Uh, if you were curious about the nitro history, all things distributed, which is his blog, personal blog. Uh, he goes into history on the nitro instances uh, their evolution from EC2 instances all the way to Nitro, uh, dedicated uh, you know, silicone to manage instances at scale and more securely. Really great read. Uh, definitely check that out as well if you are interested in all things Nitro. Cool. Yeah, excellent. Awesome, guys. We'll see you uh, next week with Ryan back. All right. Have yep. a great week. See you. Good night. Have a good day. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.